Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, friends, and appreciate you joining us for the podcast today as we delve into the book of Jeremiah once again. We're in chapter number eight and verse eight, if you're interested in following along. As you're finding your place, let me show you this uh, incredible postcard from Washington State, three beautiful volcanoes. And I have seen all three of these volcanoes, Mount St. Helens, Mount Adams, and Mount Rainier. And this is a view on a clear day that you can sometimes get from the airplane. And it's been my privilege many times to fly into the SeaTac Airport there in Washington. And this is from Rob Perlick. Rob listens from Edmonds, Washington. And I really appreciate you, Rob, and your encouragement. Thanks for sending in the postcard. But thanks for listening, most of all. We are in uh, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse number 8. And Jeremiah has just announced to God's people that things are going to be really, really bad when the Babylonians come. And it's going to be a time of great shame. Even those that are alive are going to say, I wish I were dead. Uh, This is just horrible. And yet they persist in their rebellion. They persist in their unwillingness to repent and to admit. And we're going to find out today, what were some of the lies that they were telling themselves? Why? Why? Why did they persist in such rebellion? Why did they persist in this unwillingness to see themselves and to get right when God was giving them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity? Look at uh, chapter 8 and verse number 8, uh, where the Bible says, how do you say, so this is the message of Jeremiah, and I, I love Bible messages because they're full of rhetorical questions. They're full of questions that cause you to inspect your own heart. Jesus would often teach and preach this way, asking questions, asking for consideration, Questions stir the conscience. And watch the question that uh, the preacher asks in verse number eight. How do you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? So, so what were God's people saying? God's people were saying, hey, we're wise. We know what we're doing. We, we, we see things from God's perspective. Uh, we, we have the law of God. We're the curators of the law of God. No other nation has the law of God. We have the law of God and we have wisdom. I think sometimes that's our excuse. We, we say, well, I'm a Bible believer. Uh, I've got the Bible. I go to church. I, I, I'm wise. Yeah, but just because you somebody says that they're wise and just because someone says they're a Bible believer or they have a knowledge of the Bible or you know they, they have academic facts about the Bible that other people don't have doesn't necessarily mean that's true. So, so watch what it goes on to say, verse number eight. How do you say we're wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Lo, certainly in vain made he it. The pen of the scribes is in vain. The, the point here is, well, it, it was worthless that God gave you the law, that he 
inscribed it, that people copied it. Why? Because you're not following it. The purpose of the law was never for you just to read it. The purpose of the law was never for you just to know the facts about it. The purpose of the law was that it would affect your behavior. It would affect your heart and the way that you live and ultimately your attitude toward me. But none of that's happening. And so it may might, may may as well not have written it at all. Look, look at verse number nine. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what wisdom is in them? Is in them. So how can you call yourself wise if you have rejected the very source of wisdom? Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and of wisdom. We know that the, the wisdom comes from the word of God. And yet here are people that claim to know the word of God. They claim to be, claim to be the curators of the law of God. And they claim to be wise, which is a product of the word of God. And yet none of that's true. So where, where is, where is wisdom? What wisdom is in them? And it's really a, an incredulous question to say, there's no wisdom in them. Uh, what kind of wisdom is that? Uh, a wisdom that says the word of God is my academic resource, but it's not my guidebook for life. The word of God is just something that gives me facts about God, but doesn't help me emulate and love or serve God. No, that, that's not wisdom. Verse number 10, therefore will I give their wives unto others. So here's the judgment. Because of their lack of self-awareness, because of their, their total lack of ability to see themselves and see their sin, the Bible says, therefore will I give their wives unto others, their fields to them that shall inherit them. For everyone from the least even unto the greatest is given to covetousness. From the prophet even unto the priest Everyone dealeth falsely. So here they are claiming wisdom. Here they are claiming to know the word of God. And yet their heart condition belies both of those claims. Because really, what is their heart condition? They just want what everyone else has. I want his wife. I want his field. I want his stuff. I want what he has. And this is endemic to the nation. It makes no difference if a person's rich or poor. Uh, regardless of what the religious, a priest, a prophet, makes no difference. They're all infected by the same thing. The whole country is given over to covetousness. It's interesting that in the New Testament indictment of covetousness in the book of Colossians, the writer says, Paul says, that covetousness is idolatry. So often in the Bible, you'll see that covetousness is kind of a root sin. Remember, the love of money is the root of all evil. So the love of money, really, that, that would go hand in glove with covetousness, would it not? It's in the whole passage about covetousness and contentment. First Timothy chapter six, Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Uh, wanting more, wanting more, covetousness. It was covetousness that ultimately convicted the Apostle Paul. Remember his testimony in Romans chapter 7? I think Paul sincerely thought that he obeyed the law in an external way. I don't, I don't kill anybody. I, 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 
I don't, I honor my father and mother. Uh, I don't kill and steal. I don't commit adultery. But when the Bible says, thou shalt not covet, read it there in Romans 7, the Apostle Paul said, I couldn't get around that because that spoke to my heart. I knew that I was convicted by that. And that commandment slew me, he said. So here in Jeremiah chapter number eight, he's saying, you're all that way. Your heart condemns each one of you. Makes no difference how much you protest your wisdom. Makes no difference how much you say you know the law of God. If it's not affecting who you are, then it's all just a sham. Look at verse number 11. For they have healed, this is now the prophet, they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly. We, we read a verse very similar to this last chapter. They have healed the hurt uh, of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So what, what have the religious leaders of the day done to help the people? Oh, they've helped them slightly in the sense that they've made them feel good for the moment. They've given them temporary anesthetic. They've given them a temporary Novocaine by saying, oh, it's not a big deal. There's peace. There's peace. The Babylonians are never going to come. Don't listen to people like Jeremiah. He's just a doom and gloom preacher. God loves us. God's good to us. The temple will never be destroyed. This is, it's all good. Don't worry about it. Does that help the people? Not really. The Bible says here slightly. Oh, it makes people think good thoughts for a while, but it's just like a Band-Aid. It's like putting a Band-Aid on cancer, uh, on a cancerous wound. Oh, you might, you, you might arrest the development of that wound slightly. You might cover it, might maybe not, not look so bad. You might feel better about yourself, but you've really done nothing to help and to cure. That's what's happening here. Look at verse number 12. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? The question here is when God's people were doing abominable things, things that were clearly forbidden by God's law, which they claimed to know by God's law, about which they claimed to have wisdom. And the Bible says, when they, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nay. No, no they weren't ashamed. They were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore shall they fall among them that fall. In the time of their visitation, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. You know, a great indication of a hardened heart and deep sin is when people are brazen about their sin. They don't even have any compunction about it. They just don't blush about it. This is just... You do see, this is just in your face. This is just I, who I am. That's where these people were. There was no blushing. There was no brazen, there was a brazenness about it. Wow, you talk about going too far. They had gone too far. Would you look at one last verse here, verse number 13, where the Bible says, I will surely consume them, saith the Lord. Now, how? How would God consume them? We, we picture about we picture consumption as being a lion eating something or a whale swallowing something, a shark. But, but watch the way by which God's people would be consumed. I will consume them, saith the Lord. There shall be no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. The leaf shall fade. 
the things that I have given them shall pass away from them. So how would God bring their destruction incrementally? He would take his blessing from off of the agriculture. Uh, Things would become lean. There'd be no grapes to pick, no figs to eat, no produce. And so over a course of time, over seasons, they would be completely consumed by this. I think sometimes God allows incremental judgment or slow judgment, really in order that we might repent, in order that we might say, see in real time that slow-moving freight train to say, okay, I'm wrong, God's right, I repent. And yet there's no sign of that at all among these people all these many years ago. We're going to go ahead and stop there, verse number 13. That'll be it for today, but we'll start on verse number 14 next episode. Hope you join us for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.